0: All right, so hello, hello, hello. Um, I know that some of you have seen me. I've come here every now and then here to Derral, and I've, I have to say, I really do appreciate the community feel that you all have here. Um, I always feel welcome. It's not like I'm a stranger walking in. I feel like everybody is all about being the body of Christ. And um, like he said, we're we're visiting from Echo, so all my Echo people came out to support. Um, but Echoes, is a young adult ministry that we got to be a part of, and it's been seven years. Actually, this month, it'll be seven years that we've been doing ECHO's. Um, and so Pastor Abdi gave me this opportunity. I remember meeting Pastor Abdi. Oh, I was in middle school when I first met Pastor Abdi, and I always appreciated how friendly he was. I remember him being at the doors at, at Miami Vineyard, and he was handing out flyers about um, the singles ministry. Um, he was just handing out to everybody. I'm like, I'm really too young to go to this, but okay, you're nice. I'll take the flyer. But he was just so, so kind and so pleasant to be around. Um, and just, to be able to have the opportunity to come here today, uh, when Pastor Abdi asked me about it, I'm like, of course, anything for Pastor Abdi. So, uh, so I'll go ahead and get started. I'm not the kind of person that likes to talk for a long time, so we're going to get right to it, um. So we're, you guys are in this series called Don't Stop Believing, and I was here for part one when Pastor Abby talked about, when you know who you are, then you'll know what to do, and that whole idea of believing who you are and understanding that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we represent Christ, and that, that really stuck with me because as I interacted with my regular day-to-day things, I realized that I can't represent Antony; that I'm actually going into spaces and representing Christ. And so as we continue to unpack what it means to believe, I thought it would be appropriate that we look at Matthew chapter 25. And what we're going to be talking about today is that it's more than enough, that we can keep believing that what God has given us is more than enough. So let's take out our Bibles and let's read Matthew 25, and we'll start with verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. And I'm going to read a lot of verses, so just follow along. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another and the one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five bags more, and said, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and i have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant, with the one bag of silver, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look here, your money is back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. And this is the the verse I really want for us to emphasize. It says, to those who use well what what has been given, even more will be given. They will have an abundance, but those from who, from, from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's go ahead and let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that your word is alive and active. God, I ask that you would fill this place. Lord, I pray that you would take control and speak through me and do what only you can do. God, speak to our hearts. God, speak to your people. We are hungry for more of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we look at this at this parable, Jesus is sharing this story um, to his disciples, and this happens right around the time when he's about to be crucified. He's about to be arrested. In the next chapter, chapter 26, he's actually going to be arrested. So in, tw- in this chapter, we see that he's having this conversation with his disciples, and he's telling them about what it looks like. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? And he's ex- he's explaining to him actually, about this master going on this long journey. That master is Jesus himself. He's letting them know that there's going to be a long time that you're going to be waiting, and you're going to be given something. And so he's preparing them for his departure. This parable. We know that, the, that Jesus often spoke in parables when he was teaching uh, his disciples. So, Jesus describes this master, and the master gives gifts. He gives each of the servants talents. And so, he gives them a responsibility to use what he has given them. And so, the first thing I want us to recognize in this story, in this parable that Jesus is expressing to his disciples, is that we have all been given a gift and an opportunity. That God has given each of us a gift and an opportunity. You see, the, the master called each of his servants. He knew each of his servants. And the Bible even goes on to describe that he knew exactly what they could handle. Because it says that he gave, it, he gave them gifts based on their abilities. He had the expectations that they could follow through with what they had been given. And so as I as I looked at this, it reminded me that, You know, that Christ gives each of us gifts. And then in the verse it says that he entrusted them. So that means that he handed it over to them with an expectation that they would handle the responsibility. And so as Jesus is preparing his disciples, he wants us to remember that we have been gifted. And that we have to understand that our gifts are not the same. That I know that I may not have as many as somebody else, but I know that I have been gifted. So we can look at each other, you could turn to somebody and tell them, like, hey, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. And look at your your second choice, your second choice, and tell them, I'm gifted. I'm gifted. So as we take a look at this, we have to remember that the master gives each of us a gift. I may not be gifted in the same ways that you are. And if we think about it, the Bible tells us that we are the body, and the body is made up of different parts that each of us has an, an attribute that adds to the kingdom of God. And so maybe maybe your gift might be of communication. Maybe your gift might be you're just a very kind and generous person. And maybe God has gifted you in that way. Maybe you have a musical ability. Um, but there is something that God has specifically given you, and he has an expectation that you're going to put it to work. So we see, you know, growing up in my family, Uh, there's a lot of siblings. I've got a lot of siblings, and sometimes I have to think about how many I have. Um, So I have a lot of sisters. I can't remember how many. I think it's four. Four sisters, and I've got one brother. And I can remember this whole idea of gifting. Um, The the funny thing is that I went to the same high school. I I went to the same high school as my brother. My brother is a lot older than me. He had already graduated, and so I remember being in P.E., and if anybody knows me, they know like I'm not really all that athletic. I try to be, uh, but my PE coach used to used to coach my brother for basketball, and it was uh, we were playing basketball, and somebody gave me the ball. And, you know, I'm just I'm playing. I like the idea of playing basketball, and she saw me with the basketball, and the first thing she said was, "Antonia, you want to try out for the team?" And I was like, <laughs> "Like that's not I I I don't play basketball. That's not my gifting." Um, But she thought because we came from the same family, we must have the same gift. And so it reminded me like, okay, I had to find out and discover what was I gifted in. Because just because I'm a part of the same family doesn't mean that I have the same gifts. So even as I look at my family and they say, oh, everybody plays instruments. No. Everybody's not gifted to play instruments, but everybody in our family has a gift. And so we have to understand that the master gave everybody something. And so his, his expectation was that we were going to use it. And so we, we realized, and the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 16, that a person's gift will make room for him and lead him before important people. I realized that God did not gift me with the ability to play basketball too well, but I knew that he had gifted me musically to be able to write. And it was a, it was a gift that I was given very young and that that gave me opportunities that I did not know as I put it to work, will open up doors for my songs to be sung in places I would never go. And so we see that God gives us a great gift, and his expectation is that we put it to work. And as we reflect on our own lives, we see that our Heavenly Father has gifted us with special gifts. And that not only has he gifted us with a gift, but he's gifted us with an opportunity. Because what good is a gift if we don't have the opportunity to use it? And as we look at the servants, each of them had a choice to make. They had a decision to make. And we see that the one servant who was given one, he didn't waste the money. He wasted the opportunity. Because everyone was given the same option to use what had been given. The Bible says that when the master gave them the gift, he then left. When he left, he entrusted them to take care of it. But now... Because it did not belong to them, they weren't supposed to handle it like it belonged to them, but they were supposed to have the mindset of the master. And so as we look at the gifts that God has given us, what is our response? Do we engage with the kingdom of heaven and realize that we have been gifted with something that does not belong to us and it is our responsibility to handle it well, or do we hide because we're afraid? Do we hide because we think It might we might lose it. It may not work out. We might fail because we see time and time again that God has given us a gift and an opportunity. Romans 12 and five, it says in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. Well, so as we continue to look at uh, this, this parable, as we remember that, remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's preparing them for what is about to happen that there was going to be a time where he was not going to be physically present there with them. And so they were going to have to make decisions. They were going to have to use the gifts that God had given them. For Peter, for for James, for John, for all of them, they were going to have to put to work what God had shown them, what Jesus had taught them. And so as we look at this in this parable, something that stood out to me was that our opportunity is often unveiled in opposition, that our opportunities— are often unveiled in opposition, that we will all experience, or we have all experienced barriers to our blessings. Um, and as we, as we see in this in this narrative, there was a risky moment for all of them because they've been given a huge responsibility and there's a risk in putting it to work, that they had no guarantees of the outcome, that they had to step out in faith believing that if if the master entrusted me enough to give me this responsibility, that, he, that it will work out. If he, if he trusts it, then I can handle it, then I, it will all work out. Psalms 34 and 19, it says, the righteous person faces many troubles. And sometimes I think uh, we think that we won't face difficulties when we say yes to Jesus. Um, but I realized in my short time of life that when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to, to mess sometimes, that things get messy when you say yes, um, and, it, and, and it doesn't mean that you're going to have a life that is free of obstacles, but the Bible is very clear that even in our difficulties, it may not feel good, but in the end, he would use it for our good, and so we see that these, these, these servants had an opportunity to pursue this place of tension. And so, so often, we kind of hide or we delay in being obedient to what God has gifted us with. And it's like, okay, I'll just wait. Or I'll, make sure, I'll wait until everything is put together. I'll wait till it all starts to make sense. But we see that there's, there was no guarantees. There just had to be a trust and a dependency on God. That we can either bury and hide in fear or we can step out in faith. And and even in that place, the opportunities don't always come with a sign that says opportunity. Oftentimes, it looks like opposition. <laughs> um, and just just thinking about this personally, um, I experienced I experienced this fairly recently, when Pastor Abdi uh, texts me. He he's like he texts me about speaking. I didn't sh- share this with anybody, but um, he texts me about speaking the night before. I had been praying, and I said, I said, God, and I just, like, I started, how do I explain this? I started a practice recently of praying at night, like intentionally praying at night. You know, you pray in the morning, it's wonderful, but I'm like, okay, God, I want to close my day with you. So I would set aside time to pray at night. And I just started putting this into practice, and I was, I was praying, and I asked God, I said, Lord, whatever door, and I don't even and it, it's kind of crazy because I would never pray this. Because you know, in my mind, it's like if you pray for patience, then God takes you through like all the stuff that you need patience for. Yeah. So I was like, Lord, whatever door you open for me next, I'll be obedient and just walk in it. And then I went to sleep. The next morning at eleven in the morning, Pastor Abby says, Hey, it's Nay. would you like to speak? <laughs> and I was like, What what? <laughs> this was not like I need a little bit of time in between there. And First, the first thing I said to Pastor Abby, I was like, oh, let me check my schedule. And then as soon as I sent it, I felt so convicted because I was like, okay, delayed obedience is still disobedience. So let me be obedient right now and not wait. So then I just responded. I'm like, okay, October 6th. That sounds great because he gave me two days. I'm like, "Ah, I'll take the first one because I just want to be extra obedient. I don't know. Um, So I, I said yes. I said yes. And as I moved closer and closer to the date when I was supposed to speak, Moving closer to today, things started getting so crazy, like random, like mess, just mess. Opposition for this um, that was preventing this opportunity. And so as I continued to prepare, and I would sit down, I had crazy stuff happening at my job. I had uh, my graduate studies that it was everything was due at the same time, um, and just just crazy things. Like it might be silly to you, but it was bothering me. You know, I ordered Postmates and didn't come in. Three times, nothing, like, I couldn't get anything to eat. I'm mad, I'm angry, and I'm like, God, like, it started making me second guess my yes. It started making me feel like, is this really what you want me to do? Like, maybe this is just not the right time. Maybe I should have waited. But I, I, immediately I remembered that oftentimes in those places of opposition, there's an opportunity. And so as this one servant had a decision to make, do I hide it? Do I just hold on to it? Or do I put it to work? We have to realize that even in those places, in those places of tension, that, that there's still an opportunity for us to grow. There's still an opportunity for us to deepen in our walk with God. There's still an opportunity for us to see the hand of God on our lives. And in John 16, it says, here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows. That's our oppositions. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. You see, the best example of an opportunity being unveiled in opposition is when our Savior Jesus was ridiculed and shamed, bruised and beaten and rejected. That he was willing to endure the opposition in order to create an opportunity for you and me. And so as we look look at Jesus, he had to continue to press. He had to continue to press. I mean, he was born into opposition. The Bible says that because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame so that now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. In Christ, in his place of opposition was the unveiling of an opportunity. So in this parable that Jesus tells the disciples, he's he's showing them that there is going to be a risky place. But in this risky place, there's still opportunity. In this place of uncertainty, there's still an opportunity. But the main thing that we notice is that there was a perception problem, that there was two servants who perceived the situation as an opportunity, and one that was very reluctant. He looked with eyes of fear. And we see that when we look past the opposition, we can perceive the opportunity. But the Bible shows us that when we look with eyes of fear, it will make us process things differently. That when I look at things from that lens, I start seeing my, my situation a lot bigger than the God that I serve. So then it makes me decide not to step out. And so as we, as we look in this place of looking with eyes of fear, in, in the verse 24, it says that the servant, he said to the master, and it really stuck out to me, he said, I knew you were harsh, so I was afraid I would lose, so I hid, that because his perception was wrong, because he processed his situation incorrectly, it affected the outcome, that God cannot multiply in a place of fear, that we have to step out and believe. And so he thought, this servant, this one servant, he thought that, that surviving was succeeding, he thought that just, just being able to make it was success. But that's not a place of success. The Bible shows us time and time again that God is not looking for us just to be s- sitting back, safe. now that I know Jesus, everything's all right. I'm not going to go and pursue and seek after what it is that he wants us to do. The Bible says that he gave them a commission to go out and make be fishers of men, to make more disciples, that this good news wasn't for them to hold on to. And we see this one servant set on the gift that God had given, that the master had given him. And so when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a commission. We say yes to going into places of uncertainty. And so as we continue, as we continue to look at this parable, the last thing that I wanted to share with you is that what Jesus shows us is that we have to put to work what you have so that God will multiply. That we have to put to work. What we have, so that God will multiply. Um, the crazy thing in this story is that we don't we don't see where they put it. They put the work in to invest, and they got nothing back. Cause I was looking, I'm like, okay, we we imagine that some's gonna make it and some's not. Like somebody's going to invest and they lose it all. But the Bible says in verse 18 that the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest his money and earn five more. The servant who took two bags of silver also went and worked and earned two more. But the servant who did nothing did not get anything back. And it made me remember that each servant had to act in faith and they never failed. Because the results were not dependent on them. That God is the one who multiplies. And so we don't lose at all. We don't lose at all when we respond with faith. That all they had to do was step out and understand that God would do the work. As we continue to put whatever it was that we have to work, God will do the multiplication. That there was no one who lost. And they didn't have to compete with each other. They had to steward well what they had been given. They had to manage what was in their hands. And they had to take all of what was given to them and put all of it to work. That it wasn't the responsibility to just worry about the one who had five, worry about the one who had two or the one who had one. There was no comparison. That, this, that the master was looking for what you did with what was given. That we have to put to work everything, surrendering everything that we have. Living a life of faith means that we're stepping out, that we're getting messy, that we're taking risk, that we're getting in a place of, not being, uncom- of being uncomfortable, that we have to take on the mindset of our master. That we have to realize that the gifts that I've been given, they're not mine anyways. So because they've been given to me, I have to respond with faith. I have to respond like he would. They had to invest his money the way he would. They had to steward well what was been given. And so the more opposition that we face, we have to remember that we have to put to work what's in our hands. And so God does not give, he didn't give them a finished product. He usually starts with seeds. That our God is a God of process. That it's not about us having it perfect, but he wants to walk alongside us through it. Because the Bible says that when he gave them, when he gave them, um, when he came to ask them, and they doubled what he had given, that, that he said, now I'm going to give you more responsibility. So he was showing them, I'm walking with you. That this is not done. There's still more work to do. That I'm going to continue to walk alongside you. And in Matthew 25 and 29, it says that they had to use well. That means they had to put it to work. It reminds me um, of two of two heroes of the faith, Moses and Abraham, uh, where they were, they were given finished products. They didn't have it all together, but they had to put to work what God had given them, that they had to step out in faith, believing that if God entrusted it to me, that he would gift me with the, uh, with the opportunity and the ability to see him multiply. And so as we look at Moses, I thought about Moses, and he's, he, he wasn't a finished product. He didn't, it wasn't polished. That he said, God, I don't, I don't speak well. I'm, I've got a stuttering problem. They don't really, I, I'm not a really, you know, accepted by the Hebrews. I'm not accepted by the Egyptians. I'm in this place of I don't know. But God said, no, 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 what's in your hand? And so he said, you know, throw down the staff. And so when we look at that same thing that God had given Moses was the same thing that God continued to pour out blessings and miracles with. He saw seas begin to be parted. He was able to, to see battles be won because he put to work with what God had placed in his hands. We see the same thing happen with Abraham. That God, had given, God gave Abraham just a promise. And on that promise, Abraham put that to work. That he had to say, okay, God, I know that you said that I will be the father of many nations. And as I stand with with just that promise, with no children, I will walk and allow you to show me the land that I am supposed to walk into. And so he had to put to work just the, the, the promise that God gave him. Believing that, God, if you had given this to me, you will be responsible to multiply it as I respond in faith. So we have to let God multiply what we have in our hands today. That we have to realize that that is our responsibility to put it to work. To put to work what we have been given, not what somebody else has. Remembering that God has designed us with specific gifts. That not everybody in this room is supposed to be a Pastor Abdi. But we all have a responsibility to steward well what we've been given. That there is something that God desires to multiply in our lives. And so our faith has to be active. It can't be just knowing, because the servant, he said, I know I know how you are, but he did not respond, like, with faith. He just sat back and said, I'll just play it safe. Let's be people who, who want to see God multiply. If you think about it, you know, the, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And it, it, it makes sense, because for, for this one servant, he was so focused on what he could see. I've got one, I gotta protect this one because I don't wanna lose it. But he was ignoring the fact that the master said you can have it. So if he said you can have it, you must be able to do this. That the master was watching and saw his abilities and knew that this was enough for you. That I can use what I've placed in you. And so as we put to work with what God has given us, God will multiply, but fear will never lead to increase. That hiding does not work. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 6, it says it is, Im- it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That God will not fail. That we have to respond with faith. Remembering that God doesn't need us to protect his reputation. That God is God alone. That he is God by himself, and beside him there are no others. That we have to believe that there is nothing that he can't do. We have to believe that what he has given us is enough. So today, let us be people that believe that we've been given a gift and an opportunity. Let us embrace opposition. Not hiding in fear, but understanding that our opportunity is often unveiled in opposition. That when we see opposition, let us not confuse it and say, okay, I got to go. This must not be what God wants. But say, God, where is the opportunity? And let us put to work what we have and let God multiply. Because there will come a day when Jesus will ask, what have you done with what I have given? Let us be the servant that hears, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Amen.